Dominus Fabiscum, amigos, and welcome to another episode of the Heavenly Toast Podcast. Happy Easter, very happy Easter to you and to yours. Today we're going to be reflecting on the readings for the second Sunday of Easter, also known as Divine Mercy Sunday. So Divine Mercy Sunday was kind of a thing that was brought more into the fore by St. John Paul II during his pontificate. He named the second Sunday of Easter as a memorial to divine mercy so that we might enter into this great grace and participate in this great divine mercy that God extends to us. And I love it today that we're given the gospel reading where we're talking about St. Thomas as he is um, kind of uh, coming back to the Lord after the resurrection. So we have this story that's very familiar, you know, the Doubting Thomas, which is kind of a, a, a bum deal for St. Thomas. Um, he was obviously one of the apostles who walked with Jesus for his entire public ministry. And after the resurrection, he goes out so far as India. He actually becomes the first evangelist to India. And I mean, if you can imagine, in the first century, going all the way from Palestine to India was quite the trek to be declaring and proclaiming the gospel to the people there and evangelizing and catechizing them. But no, he gets remembered for doubting in this one moment in the gospel, which is kind of a bum bum deal for him. But when we look at what St. Thomas is doing, I don't think that we can help but see a little bit of ourselves in him today. So Jesus comes and he stands in the midst of the disciples who are all gathered together in the upper room. He says, peace be with you. And the disciples are overjoyed. They're confused. They're excited. There's a whole mishmash of just flooding emotions that are going on and the, the whirlwind of it all. But Jesus says again, peace be with you. And he, set, he breathes on them. And they receive the Holy Spirit through that breath and through that, through Jesus' actions with them. Thomas isn't among them this first time. And the apostles tell him, we've seen the Lord. He's truly risen. He appeared to us. He came back. And St. Thomas says, unless I can put my finger into the nail marks in his hands and put my hand in his side, I will not believe I think there's so much of that in today's world. The modern generation just craves authenticity and genuineness so much. And we worry about being sucked in and being duped. We don't want to be we don't want to follow something that may or may not be true. No, we we're looking for real trueness that we can sink our teeth into. And I think that Man, we, as I look at it too, see so much of myself in St. Thomas here that he's looking for the proof. He's looking for more than the proof, though. He's looking for the truth. So what happens then? Jesus appears to the apostles a second time. This time Thomas is with them. And Jesus invites him to stick his fingers into the nail marks in his hands and his hand into his side. And St. Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God. 
he recognizes this is in fact Jesus. This is the Lord, and he's come back from the dead. He's been resurrected and raised up. In that moment, he becomes the first to really make this bold and definitive proclamation that Jesus is the Lord. And not only is he the Lord in general, but he is St. Thomas's Lord. I just think that that's such a wonderful showing for us. And I think in another way, too, it's a wonderful story for us to chew on and reflect on as well. So a lot of times, people start looking for proofs of God's existence. They start questioning, is this God real or is this something that's made up and imaginary? And they stumble across the writings of Aristotle, or they stumble across the five ways of St. Thomas Aquinas. And they, they're pulled in because there's a lot of truth in there. And they start thinking about it and they say, wow, maybe this is something that was more reasonable than I first thought. Or maybe I'd heard some stuff that isn't quite right, but this is the real deal. These are the real arguments that good, solid theists put forward. You know, it's not, oh, you know, God did it and therefore you got to believe this so you don't go to hell. No, these are well-rationed, very good arguments and philosophical things which undergird a lot of theism nowadays. And they start thinking about these things. But then something holds them back a little bit. Because the God that is kind of illustrated through these arguments is almost mechanistic, almost like a force who has, you know, wound up the universe like a clockmaker and just let it go. And people think, that's not the God of Christianity. That's not Jesus that I know. What is, what's going on here? But when we really come to the table, what we recognize is that these arguments that are being put forth aren't to prove that Jesus Christ is the Lord. They're arguments that prove to us that God exists. And they're not proving a personal God, necessarily. That's not what they're for. And why is that? People always say, oh, the God of the philosophers is like a calculator. And yes, that's true, because raw logic can't reveal to us a person. They can tell us certain things about the person, maybe, but ultimately, until that person decides to speak and reveal their personhood to us and become intimate with us in a way where they reveal parts of themselves, we'll never be able to know it by rational inquiry or by empirical experimentation. People don't work off of experiments. You know, there might be somebody who uh, I'm friends with, you know, acquaintances with from, you know, work or, uh, you know, we happen to run across each other on the bus on the way to school every day. But ultimately, until I speak with that person and until they reveal certain things about themselves, there's no way that I'll know those things. What does Jesus do now? Jesus reveals God as person to us. And he does so precisely through, in and through, his body and his word, his revelation to us. It's not simply some God who is far off, but instead he invites St. Thomas to reach out, to put his fingers into the wounds, to reach out and touch him. 
earlier in a place uh, the apostles are speaking with Jesus. And I believe it's St. Philip says to him, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know when you see me, you see the Father? Tied up in this personhood of Jesus is the entire revelation that God wanted to make known to us. This is what God's ultimate plan was for us, that he would reveal himself to us through the very person of Jesus and to save us by his sacrifice on the cross. When we look at this bodily manifestation of Jesus and being so just bodily in a certain way, the Gospels are very careful to show us this bodily nature, precisely because it is through this that he reveals himself to us. And in so much of the Catholic liturgy, and so much of the Catholic sacraments and mindset and how we do things, it's very bodily. When we receive the sacrament of penance, even if the priest is behind the screen, he extends his hand in blessing as he makes the sign of the cross over us, and he speaks with his human vocal cords, the formula of absolution. And it's not his voice, but rather Christ's acting through his lungs, through his diaphragm, through his vocal cords. As he says, through the ministry of the church, may God grant you pardon and peace, and I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When we go to Mass, we stand, we sit, we kneel, precisely because what we do with our bodies matters. We are not souls that are laden with a body, but rather we are body-soul composites that come together to form a real human person that is stamped with the image and likeness of God. That a human person that is called to know God, to love God, and to serve God, and to be happy with him forever in the next life. That's the calling of every human person who has ever existed. And it's precisely through this body that God will save us. It was through the sacrifice of his own body that he redeemed us, and he will not redeem a soul without a body. In the Apostles' Creed, we profess a belief in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life in the world to come. Through, this, through his body, he redeemed us, through our body, he will save us. And it's precisely through divine mercy that is the way that he will do that. By giving ourselves totally to him, that's how we experience that grace. That's how we receive that grace, precisely in and through bodily ways. We see this most especially played out in the gift of the Eucharist, which is truly and substantially Jesus Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity given to us. The heavenly banquet, the supper of the Lamb, through which we partake in that eternal sacrifice made once and for all. It's through 
that sacrifice, through that bodily act, that divine mercy gushes with blood and water out upon the world. It's through that that we are saved. We come to greater faith in this God who loves us so much, in this God who has mercy on us. So this Divine Mercy Sunday, let's all strive to give ourselves more to the God who loves us, to accept his grace, to recognize that we are stamped in that image and likeness of God and called to live with him forever. Until next time, stay in the state of grace. God bless, friends. Happy Easter and cheers.